Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. It's time to get outside. This is KSL Outdoors. Brought to you by Bear River Lodge. Two hours of stories and information on hunting, fishing, and high adventure. KSL Outdoors with Tim Hughes on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to hour number two and the final one for a program. I feel a little abandoned here at the moment. Nami's headed back to class. Russ is with family up in Spokane, Washington, and we'll be headed back this direction. So my guess is he'll be in studio with me next week. And uh, Bob Grove had to step away for a minute, but he'll be rejoining me for our road tripping with uh, Bob and Mark coming up in just a few minutes later in this half hour. Let me tell you what else is on the tap or on tap for this hour. Uh, Roger Agate from Bear River Lodge will join us. My guess is, and I haven't seen much of his social media the last couple of days, he's usually out there with quite a few stories, but my guess is uh, that uh, Christmas Meadows up there and uh, just outside of Bear River Lodge probably has received a fair amount of snow over this last week and may even uh, have received more last night. But we'll get a full report and find out about uh, you know how that affects his projects that he's got going, including a deadline to get a a family reunion cabin finished because it's already uh, got rental dates coming up in uh, December, which is getting closer and closer every day. So look forward to that conversation. And I forgot to get this story in on our news of the week. So somebody please remind me that uh, I do want to talk about this uh, story that involves 28 Burmese pythons. We were in Florida when was that? Late August, early September, and there were stories about uh, people that were going out on an annual gathering uh, where they actually go out and hunt these pythons because they have such nasty impact on uh, the state's ecology. A very invasive species that somebody introduced not so long ago, and it's just wreaked havoc in areas. But uh, anyway, we'll tell you the story hopefully before we uh, get out of here at the top of the hour. Robbie Edgel joins me now, habitat restoration biologist for the central region of the Division of Wildlife Resources and a neighbor, it turns out, or at least your mom and dad are neighbors of uh, Russ's. He, he told me he would see your truck up there in the driveway from time to time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's start here. Before we, we wanted to focus on a particular um, project that's happening up Parley's Canyon that some people may be wondering about, but I'm curious. How many of these restoration projects uh, do you undertake in a in a usual year, an, a, an average year, and what kinds of things are you doing? Yeah, so we have a really neat program here in Utah called the Utah Watershed Restoration Initiative, and that kind of joins efforts with another program called the Shared Stewardship Program. And uh, we do uh, many, many projects every year. Uh, 
myself here in the central region, we have about 20, 20 large watershed projects uh, going this year uh, that are funded. So we we're funded through the state legislature, and then we. What's cool about this program is it brings funding sources from sportsmen, conservation organizations as well, and and many other uh, federal and state agencies, and just pulls all that funding together to do uh, projects that are on a landscape scale. So instead of just doing one project on one piece of land, uh, we're able to cover you know forest service, state, private. So you don't just have these little blocky projects across the landscape, but we're able to treat the whole the whole watershed in a holistic approach. And um, we do a lot of different types of projects, from forest health projects where we uh, remove um, old growth uh, trees and vegetation that is out competing other vegetation, and and introduce. Uh, whether it's using prescribed fire or mechanical means of that disturbance to allow uh, early successional species, what we call it, basically plants that grow quickly after a fire or other disturbance that are also beneficial. So our goal is diversity, and, and we also do work in the streams. We uh, build man-made beaver dams to emulate beaver uh, benefits where we don't have beavers. We we do a lot of different things from weed control and uh, there's a lot of challenges facing the health of our ecosystems west all across the west but here in utah yeah, we have it's not an exception we have a lot of well, a lot of things that uh, decrease the health of our ecosystems and, and in turn our wildlife and fish populations so, so yeah we do a lot of work uh, all across utah and uh you know my job is work with the Division of Wildlife in the central region of Utah. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of the organizations that uh, you pair up with from time to time. My guess is most of this stuff wouldn't get done without volunteer hours. Yeah, we definitely use volunteers. We, we have the dedicated hunter program, so hunters come out and volunteer their time in exchange for uh, hunting licenses, and we have sportsman groups as well that come out and donate their time and their money um so it's pretty awesome yeah that's great uh my guess is also that when these projects take place especially if it's you know burning some areas but certainly when you have big mechanical gear or machinery in the area you probably alarm some people that don't know exactly what might be happening right there and it's one of the reasons we wanted to talk about this effort that's going on in parley's canyon and the fact that parley's creek Watershed actually provides 17 to 20 percent of the water supply to Salt Lake City. Let everybody know what you're doing up there. Yeah, thank you for giving us this opportunity. We are we are worried that people will see the work we're doing and, and think we're doing something bad, but we want people to know that we're using the best science possible and the best techniques uh, to improve the health of the watershed. And we basically have three main objectives with the Parley's Canyon Watershed Project. We want to protect life and property from catastrophic wildfires. And we want to uh, preserve and protect that crucial watershed, like you say, that provides 20% of Salt Lake City's water. And then also we want to improve the health of the ecosystem uh, to have healthy fish and wildlife populations. And we're doing that. Like I said, we're doing some stream restoration work. We're doing some uh, weed control. There's some... Uh, Myrtle spurge and and other 
uh, invasive species that were are concerning. And then that that last part that we're we've been doing the last few weeks, we've had uh, chainsaw crews going up Lambs Canyon and and thinning out the the conifer. And that project's done, but this next week we're going to start uh, about 400 acres worth of uh, bull hog mastication work. And so it's basically a big excavator that has a uh, mulcher head on the front of it that will uh, grind the trees. And what we're focusing on, and along, it'll be right along the highway, so it'll be very visible, uh, is thinning out the oak brush. We've had the Parley's Canyon fire uh, last year and then another small fire this year that started right along the highway. And so we're really concerned about fire starting on the highway and just racing up through that oak brush, which provides a lot of uh, dry, woody material that burns fast and hot. And we saw, you know, that Parley's fire, it almost got to Summit Park. And we are very fortunate to know homes or, or lives were lost, but... So we're trying to thin out that oak brush. We'll pop holes in it, uh, which will uh, slow down any fires that do happen there in the future. So hopefully uh, firefighters can can get on that and, and stop it in time. So we're redu- trying to reduce that risk to those communities like in Lance Canyon and Summit Park. But then the other side part of it is, you know, we're reducing that fire risk, but Fires can be very devastating to water quality. After fires, we get a lot of runoff from the ash, and the water will just cause all kinds of erosion that can clog up those crucial pipes down in Parley's Canyon that provide water for for Salt Lake City. So we also want to try to avoid big, large fires that can cause that. And then lastly, by thinning the oak brush and, and those conifer trees, we're allowing other vegetation to grow and get that sunlight and moisture that it needs so it's not choked out by the oak brush, which will provide more food and, and, uh, and shelter diversity of habitats for, for many wildlife species from deer and elk. We have a lot of moose in that, that canyon in that area. And so they'll all benefit from yeah. having that greater diversity. We only have about a minute here, uh, but and if I'm totally out of left field with this, I apologize, but I'm learning. Is one of the efforts then to make sure that you have enough vegetation or the right kind of vegetation for the wildlife, but not so much vegetation or the wrong kind that is just soaking up a lot of the water that might make its way to the valley? Yeah, that's another another good point. You know, those uh, tree species soak up a lot of water and and they outcompete, you know, the grasses and the flowering plants. And those grasses and flowering plants are, are really critical for, for food sources, for, you know, uh, small small mammals like rabbits, which provide food for hawks and eagles. And, and then also our deer and elk and moose, they, they eat those, those grass and flowering species. And, and like you said, it, those, by thinning out the tree species, it provides more water for those plants. But then also uh, just more water will get into the aquifers and, yeah. and get down to our, our valleys. Well, it's a, it's a delicate balance for sure, but uh, we knew that since it was happening in a spot where so many people travel on a regular basis, there might be a lot of questions out there. How long will this project be going? Yeah, so we'll be beginning hopefully next week. You know, depending on snow levels, it can change things, but we hope to be finished in, a, in a, about three weeks. 
uh, and then maybe touch up some more work next spring if we need to. That's great. Uh, Robbie, it's great just to have the conversation and get some word out there about the work that you guys do day in, day out, year-round, to uh, make sure our habitat is good, not just for the wildlife that we talk so much about on Saturdays, but for all of us down here in the valleys as well. Thank you. Thank you. Robbie Edgel, again, a habitat restoration biologist for our central region. Need to take a break. When we come back, Bob Grove's going to jump back on when we'll do a little road trip and find out where we're headed next. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. It is that time of the morning again where we get ready to hit the road, do a little road tripping with Bob and Mark. Roadtripping.com. On the road again. Just can't wait to get Guess on I didn't get that right. Roadtripping with Bob and Mark.com. Got to squeeze it all in there. Although this week, Bob Grove, who is uh, still with me, this week, Mark is uh, probably out of cell range, and I'm a little jealous of that. Yeah, he's somewhere up on top of Zion, and he called me this morning from Observation Point. So, <laughs> Just to rub it in, I'm sure. Yeah, he's off the grid. He has his new big, powerful 600-millimeter lens that he's uh, having fun with, and he was up there on top saying, man, I can get some really close shots of Angel's Landing. He said, I can see, I can look right into the faces of the people on the ridge, oh. and there's... And they're showing signs of fear. That's a big <laughs> lens to carry around with you in the outdoors, isn't it? It is a pretty big lens. It looks like he, a bazooka when he's holding it up. I'll bet. Uh, anyway, we're jealous of the fact that he's there, and I'm sure we'll get more of a report next week on what he's seen. Let's take our time that we have to talk about Boulder City, which uh, is a spot that I know you love, and this time of year probably is perfect weather. It is. You know, I, I, I love to talk about Boulder City. I have before on the show, but uh, it's that time of year when we're trying to find places to get out of the cold and snow, which is, you know, come now. And, and so there will be a few that aren't skiers who are looking for someone else. And this is I'm actually a member of the Chamber of Commerce of Boulder City. That's how much I really? love this place. If I were to move to Clark County into the Las Vegas area, there's no way I would ever li- live in the Las Vegas area. I would live in Boulder City. It's only about 20 minutes from the strip on the other side of the mountain there on the Bootleg Canyon. And and I love this place. There's no casinos, for one, which I really like. There are casinos on the bookends of the city, out just outside the city limits. But right inside the town itself, there are no casinos. Huh. It has more of a small town feel. You know, it was built for the uh, the con- uh, the uh, workers at the dam, you know, when they were building the uh, Hoover Dam. This yeah. is the encampment, the, the camp that they had the village that became Boulder City, kind of like Page did for Glen Canyon. But there's a lot to do there. This is really an amazing space. And my cat's toy started going off. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Dad, play with me. Dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, what I really love about Boulder City, it has so much right there in town and nearby. Like, you know, Hoover Dam just a few minutes away. 
Black Canyon, where you can go below the dam on a rafting trip uh, through Black Canyon. Uh, it's a Black Canyon Water Trail, I believe, National Water Trail or something. I think that's what it's called, where you can go on a rafting trip to uh, Willow Bay. And that I've done that. That's a lot of fun going below the dam there through that dark canyon. And then they've got, uh, you know, the uh, Michael Callahan, Pat Tillen Memorial Tillman Bridge. That is, I mean, you can stand up on that bridge and get this a beautiful view of the uh, dam. And it's such a historic dam. You know, it's bigger than the Glen Canyon Dam. And uh, Lake Mead's just right there. Uh, what I really like about, I think I've talked about this before, Tim, is the Flight Line Zipline Park. Oh, yeah. So they've got these four lines there that are like zip, zip lines on steroids in Bootleg Canyon. You can get up to 60 miles an hour or faster going down these lines. And they're double lines, so you can go down with a buddy together, you know, side by side down these lines. And it's it's a lot of fun. And there's a lot of desert bighorn sheep in that area. So you usually see those as you're going down the line. And it's also a mountain bike trail area. So there's a lot of mountain that's biking. What, yeah, that's well. what I was going to ask you about, the mountain bikes, because uh, it's the other thing that Becky and I really love doing in the uh, summertime. Although... Uh, truth be told, we didn't do much mountain biking this summer because there was so much else going on. Lake Mead, I'm worried about. As much as we talk about Lake Powell and the water situation there, I have a friend who travels all over the world doing, um, you know, contracting work. He he does audio microphones and stuff for big events. And he has a boat. That's his home water down there. And the pictures and the stories that he's told me are pretty scary, actually. Well, it is. It's dangerously low. Uh, both lakes are, but especially Lake Mead is dangerously low. They say if we don't have a good winter, if we don't get a good snowpack, they may not be able to generate any hydro uh, power this coming year, both lakes. So, we, you know, this is a good start to our winter. Let's hope it keeps coming because we need a good snow. Of course, it's the Colorado Rockies where we need the snow. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they're both dangerously low right now, but especially Lake Mead. Did I see that you uh, found a place there that was actually on uh, Guy Fieri's Dives, Diners, and Drive-Ins? The Coffee Cup Cafe. That was featured on uh, Guy's show, and that's right there on the main street in the historic part of town. And there's lots of really cool shops along there. I've eaten there. I I went in and ordered what Guy ordered on the show and asked for that, and (laughs) it was a burrito, and it was awesome. And so, yeah, it's a it's fun to go there. They've got a lot of antique shops and museums. Uh, they've got a museum there of the building of the Hoover Dam. So I love this place. I recommend it. If you're looking to get out of the snow this winter, check out Boulder City. So you, you just go to Vegas and sort of head east a little ways? Well, actually, what I would do is I'd go. I'd get off at Overton, at the Overton exit, go through Moapa Valley, and then hit the Lakeshore Trail, uh, drive past Valley View or Valley of Fire State Park, ah, yeah. and just head in that way past the dam. What a great idea. All right. Uh, always great stuff. Bob, thank you. You bet. Always a pleasure. Road Trippin' with Bob and Mark. You'll find them at roadtrippinwithbobandmark.com. Got a break. We've got news on the half hour, and on the other side, Roger Eggett, Bear River Lodge. We'll find out what the snow count is up that way when we come back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. 
Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.